you got me thinking if it was really worth it Putting it all at this effort just to end up less than perfect But on our great intentions, something used for our protection Are they just another way to force out imperfections? I guess I'm just effective, pointed in the wrong direction The library in my head has one fucked up selection Now children, pay attention, or you'll receive detention Cause after this, you'll be tested on your own reflection Hey guys, what's up, what's good, how's it going? How are ya? This is the 40 Ounce Fridays podcast, and this is episode 66. I am recording this on November 11th, so it is Wednesday of this recording, but it shall be out on Friday the 13th. So, happy Friday the 13th to anyone. Uh, Anyone getting any tattoos? Who knows? Maybe I will. I don't know. I've never had a tattoo. But that's a conversation for another day. (laughs) Uh, Where am I going with all of this? Nowhere. But uh, hey guys, hope everyone's having a good week. Hope everyone's been enjoying themselves. I know I have. So uh, let's talk about a few things. Um, This week is pretty much going to be... I feel like the topic of this, after thinking it over before recording, like finalizing like all the notes, getting everything set up for what I was going to... The subjects I was going to go over this this week... uh, I guess the topic of this will more so be like opinions, whether they be my opinions, whether you like them, agree with them, disagree with them, hate them, love them, whatever, other people's opinions, and just the idea of opinions in general and why, regardless of good or bad opinions, because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, uh, I fully believe there are good opinions, there are opinions, and then there are bad opinions. There are definitely bad opinions. You can be misinformed. Uh, you can have an opinion on something you don't really know about, so I would consider that a bad opinion, because how can you have an opinion on something you don't really understand? Things of that nature. And going over what I was going to talk about this week, I was just like, you know what? Yeah, that'll be the topic. So the topic is opinions. But um, just to go over like a little uh, summary of what we'll be talking about this week, I'm going to finally do a review of The Crown Tundra. Uh, that's been out for a couple of weeks now. So just overall thoughts, uh, basic structure of it, what you could do. I have not done everything in it yet. I'm probably going to do some event stuff sooner or later. I'm still playing Trails of Cold Steel. Speaking of, uh, I'm in Trails of Cold Steel 2 right now. I'm doing the last uh, dungeon, like the final final act part. I know there's like a side story and then like an epilogue thing as well, but I'm currently on the final act portion of the game. And then I'll be doing Trails of Cold Steel 3. Uh, speaking of Trails of Cold Steel, though, one thing we're going to be talking about is this really bad review or article. Uh, it's, it's a review or article or something like that um, on Trails of Cold Steel 4. Keep in mind, I have not played Cold Steel 4. I have not even played Cold Steel 3. I'm still, on, I'm still only currently on Cold Steel 2. But I read the article, and I stayed away from the spoilers. Uh good note on the article it does tell you when it's going to get into like the meat and potatoes of talking about like the main plot elements and things that happen but i'm not here to talk about the game itself whether the game is good or bad or somebody thought it was good or bad is beside the point i want to talk about the title and what this person notes throughout the article and what i thought was weird about it uh then we're going to be talking about some uh what's it called uh another thing a thing that i fully think is just a bad opinion or at least a poorly structured argument for their opinion uh a video that uh recently got shared to the little yu yu Hakusho group i'm in on facebook going over this guy it's like a video some uh guy made on why he doesn't like yu yu Hakusho. now me being 
if if you listen to the podcast, you know, or if you know me personally, you know that Yu Yu Hakusho is my favorite fucking anime of all time, just hands down. Anime and manga series. That's just my favorite. You know, that's just me. Regardless of its flaws, or if you think something is better written, better artwork, all that stuff. Yeah, I can acknowledge that. I can talk about certain things like that, but. It's still my favorite, regardless. It's just, just near and near to my heart, you know what I mean? So, I want to talk about this video, and I'm not trying to p talk about it or tear it down as a point of like, oh, you don't like you Hawk Show, but I do, so... Because that's not what I'm about. It's more so the fact, the way the video was made, it's just kind of like, you're not really saying anything detailed enough to support why you don't like the show. You just kind of don't like the show. So we'll talk about that briefly. Uh, and then I'll just give my overall thoughts and ideas of opinions once we're done with all of that. But first, quick bit of news. Uh, I know I'm late. This happened a few days ago, but please forgive me. I record, like, once a week. So, <laughs> uh, happy, end, happy late N7 day, everybody. If you don't know what N7 day is, it's uh, November 7th, and it also relates to... Uh, a sci-fi game series known as Mass Effect. Mass Effect is like one of Bioware's greatest hits, if not their greatest hit. And personally, I prefer the Dragon Age series more, but Mass Effect is still one of my favorite game series of all time. It's a fantastic sci-fi RPG shooter. Just master. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And uh, it's one of the things, I think I mentioned this before too, Mass Effect is probably like the biggest reason why I got more into sci-fi. Because prior to that, the only thing I was really into that was sci-fi was Star Wars. And because it was Star Wars with lightsabers and shit, that was the only reason. I never was really, like, super into, like, world-building in sci-fi or other things and aspects of sci-fi, including Star Wars stuff. Until after I played Mass Effect. Then I kind of was more open-minded and I branched out. And I was like, yo, this shit is cool. So, um... Now, if you're a big Mass Effect fan, you already know about this. And it's been rumored for months now that there was a mass effect trilogy uh remaster in the works for the original three games not andromeda uh due to andromeda's poor sales even though i liked andromeda personally i don't think i've gone into detail about mass effect andromeda on the podcast but i liked it personally i still do agree fully agree it is the weakest of all the mass effect games the only thing i personally feel it has over the original trilogy is that it's gunplay is the smoothest of any Mass Effect game. Like the game, like the gameplay mechanics, like actually like combat in that game is the best out of all of them. I'm sorry, in my personal opinion, it is. But it lacks on everything else. But I still had a good time with it. I wish it had more. I wish it had done better, so we could have maybe gotten a sequel. You know, gotten to know more about it. Maybe they could have improved from their past mistakes. But it is what it is. Uh, I'll talk about that another time. But this is for the original trilogy. It uh, it was officially announced uh, on N7 Day, so November 7th. And I had the Bioware site up, so we're just going to quickly read through this little update, uh, this little post. It was by Casey Hudson, who is the VP of uh, Studio GM of Bioware. So, let's just read through this post. Happy N7 Day. It's been... It's been tough keeping a big secret if we really were struggling to keep this one a surprise. But now it's official. Today we announced the Mass Effect Legendary Edition. We've heard for years your request for a Mass Effect remaster. 
so we're super happy to finally reveal that we've been working on a remaster edition of the Mass Effect trilogy. This is huge. Um, if you've never played a Mass Effect game, or you're just not like, you know, big on gaming in general, Mass Effect is, is major, dude. It's probably one of like the biggest gaming trilogies of all time. Like, you know, like, in terms of, like, video game series, especially RPGs, this is probably one of the biggest, dude. People fucking love Mass Effect. People that didn't like sci-fi, like myself, fell in love with sci-fi because of Mass Effect. Some people, like, exclusively love Mass Effect for gaming. They don't really play other games or anything like that. Mass Effect is huge. Mass Effect has a big following. And, I mean, you don't hear about it as much because Mass Effect 3 came out years ago. What, what year did Mass Effect 3 come out in? I was still in high school. When Mass Effect 3 came out. Um, Mass Effect 3 release date. Let's see. Uh, yeah, March 6, 2012. I was in 10th grade. Um, Steam, first of all, just because the ending was bad does not mean this game deserves a 6 out of 10. <laughs> Mass Effect 3 was not a bad game. Not at all. Mass Effect 3 was great. The critical flaw of Mass Effect 3 is the ending, and that's just the critical flaw of Mass Effect as a series in general. But um, that's another topic entirely. That's a huge controversy. Um, but yeah, the first Mass Effect came out 2007. Mass Effect 2 came out three years later in 2010. And then two years later, we got Mass Effect 3. And five years after that, we got was, was Andromeda. Big oofs. Um... <laughs> No, Mass Effect 3 was not... It, personally, if I had to put, like... In order of favorites, I'd probably say 3 was my favorite. But if we were being, like, objective and ordering them from, like, best game to least best... For me, personally, looking at it objectively, Mass Effect 2 is probably, like, the overall best game. I... Mass Effect Andromeda is, is at the bottom. It's always gonna be at the bottom. Sorry. Even though I like Andromeda, it's it's just always going to be at the bottom. Um, uh, so two is best overall. I guess one and three could be interchangeable. I personally put three above one, but I know a lot of people will put three lower just because of the ending. But I'm like, you guys let the ending define that whole game. That game was fun as fuck. Anywho, but yeah, it's it's been it's been a minute. Uh, so continuing the article. Uh, for many months now, our team at BioWare has been hard at work updating the textures, shaders, models, effects, and technical features of the three enormous games. Our goal was not to remake or reimagine the original game, but to modernize the experience so that fans and new players can experience the original work in its best possible form. It's been amazing to see the adventures of Commander Shepard take on new life in super sharp resolution, faster frame rates, and beautiful visual enhancements. As game developers, we always hope that our games will transcend their original platforms. Having the opportunity to remaster the trilogy means that the fruits of a decade of our work will live on and will, and will be experienced better and clearer than ever before. Mass Effect Legendary Edition will include single-player based content and DLC from Mass Effect, Mass Effect 2, and Mass Effect 3, plus promo weapons, armor packs, armor and packs, all remastered and optimized for 4K Ultra HD. It will be available Spring 2021 for Xbox One, PlayStation 4, and PC. 
with forward compatibility and targeted enhancements for the Xbox Series X and PlayStation 5. More information to come in the new year. Meanwhile, here at BioWare, a veteran team has been hard at work and invest in envisioning the next chapter of the Mass Effect universe. We are in the early stages on the project and can't say more just yet, but we're looking forward to sharing our vision where uh, our vision of where we'll be going next year. For me personally, Mass Effect represents years of work and countless special memories. So every year, I feel incredibly fortunate to celebrate N7 Day with players around the world. Thank you so much for supporting us over the years. I can't wait to continue our adventure together, revisiting our favorite memories in the Mass Effect universe and creating brand new ones. Casey. So, um, I'm excited for a few reasons. I didn't, I hadn't read this article fully yet until now. I only read kind of like the beginning part, and I heard, um... In the, the latest episode of uh, the Black Hokage uh, podcast, Hokage Thoughts, he, he talked, he read the article. I don't think he read the whole thing because I don't remember him saying that part. I think he was kind of skimming through it and going over like, yeah, they just announced it. You know, it's going to be visually enhanced. It's a remaster. It's, so it's going to look prettier than it originally did, of course. So maybe it also won't feel as clunky in Mass Effect 1. So that's a good note. Mass Effect 1 fucking amazing storyline of course it's the storyline that spanned the franchise of the game that started the franchise of the game that's that's the trigger that's the beginning uh great rpg elements the shooting in mass effect is so funky fucking funky funky it's so not good it's it's just it's just not good and i i can't i can't lie and tell you it is um it's it's really bad and I've said this before on the podcast too, I know I have, but I remember when I, a few years, it was a couple of years ago, um, it's probably like late 2017 to early 2018 around that time, because it was a little after I had played Andromeda, I had rebought the original Mass Effect trilogy for my, uh, for my Xbox One, and I had finished one. And then I popped in two and I had started playing it. I was like, I'll do the, you know, the beginning part, the intro, uh, get all that done and then save before I go to sleep. And I did that tutorial part where you're, you're first, you're waking up from the, uh, being revived through Cerberus, La Cerberus's Lab La Lazarus project. And you get your gun and you first start shooting. And I remember shooting, and I probably fired like maybe three times, and I had to pause, and I was like, oh my god, I forgot how drastically different the shooting was in this game <laughs> compared to Mass Effect 1. It, you have to painfully adjust to Mass Effect 1 shooting mechanics. And Mass Effect 2, it's just like so such a blessing to be like, oh, this feels so good. <laughs> like... Like, oh god, uh, they still didn't get sniper rifles, right? In my personal opinion, sniper rifles were not fun to play in Mass Effect until Mass Effect 3. That's my personal opinion, though, but I I did not enjoy using sniper rifles ever in Mass Effect until 3. So, <laughs> but, so hopefully that means, like, you know, they'll smooth out and make the gunplay in Mass Effect 1 not as funky uh, and clunky, you know? visually enhanced so that's nice the game's gonna look nice throughout um mass effect one looks okay compared to like modern standards you could tell it's an older game but it, it looks pretty decent it was it was an okay looking game for when it came out uh mass effect two and three i think still hold up pretty well 
Uh, Andromeda, mm, it had some good, like, design. I feel like the only real, like, badly designed stuff in Andromeda were kind of like the facial animations. That, that was a big issue. And I think they tried to patch stuff in and out of it to make it look better, but... You have to really fuck with your character's default face to make it look nice from based off that default. Cause oof, yeah, it was it was rough. It was rough. I'm not even gonna lie about that. But um, other than that, um, I'm I'm excited for all of that. I also, but what I was gonna say is I didn't know they talked about what the next Mass Effect project they were working on is. So I'm kind of excited. Um, we probably won't hear about it until around the time the Legendary Edition is about to come out. They said the Legendary Edition was coming out, what, spring 2021? So we got a while. We, we, we got a while before these games come out. So hopefully Cyberpunk 2077 comes out before then. Because if it's between that and Cyberpunk, I'm playing Mass Effect, I'm sorry. Cyberpunk looks exciting to me, but I'm jumping back into Mass Effect, fuck yeah. Um, but <laughs> Also, I'm excited about this new project, because I'm like, ooh, is it an Andromeda 2? I do remember scrolling through Facebook. I don't read every article on Facebook or share, unless it's like something that really catches my eye, then I'll stop and click on it and read it and see if it was anything interesting to me. But I remember scrolling. I was doing something. I think I got distracted, but I glanced and saw an article somebody shared about how there's a picture of a ship right here when they're talking about the next game they're working on how this could relate to something about andromeda so i was like oh okay so maybe they are working on a sequel to andromeda that would be interesting it hasn't been super long since andromeda came out andromeda came out i have the stuff up still the tab open andromeda came out march of 2017 so it's been over three years so let's say they do the remaster trilogy and then like in 2022 or something be it like an Andromeda 2 or 2023. That'd be like three, five years, uh, four or five years later. That that sounds about right. The gap between Mass Effect 1 and Mass Effect 2 was almost three years. Uh, November 20, uh, November 2007 to Mass Effect 2 was January 2010. So, mm, I could see it being an Andromeda 2. It hasn't been too long. Unless they decide to scrap it. Because I feel like what could save Andromeda is if they made a sequel where all those choices and all those decisions you made in Andromeda lead to consequences or certain things happening in Andromeda 2. Kind of like how your actions lead on to the next games in the original trilogy. And then we can see some impact and then we can have some conflict depending on how you decided to do things in your Andromeda playthrough. So it could, it could save it. I don't know. I don't know if they want to though, but we'll see. Only time will tell. But I'm excited. I fucks with Mass Effect Heavy. And we got news of another Mass Effect, a new Mass Effect game about to come out. As well as, you know, they're still working on Dragon Age 4. Oof, you know I love me some Dragon Age. So we, we gonna see. Wait a couple years, nigga. We gonna see. But, <laughs> but that's that's it for that. So that was, uh, that was the Mass Effect Remastered Trilogy. I'm super hyped. So... Let me just get into this Crown Tundra review, or talk about Crown Tundra, so we can we can get through it. Uh, I like Crown Tundra, so just, just, let's just let's just start it off with that. You know how I do things, but um, I want to go back and say when I was doing Isle of Armor, I did like Isle of Armor, but it did feel like oh yeah, this of course this alone wouldn't be thirty dollars. 
that's why we were waiting on the Crown Tundra to get like that full view of if the project was worth the expansion was worth thirty dollars. And in my opinion, I do think it is. Um, I think I said when I when I was talking about Isle of Armor, I think I said I feel like Isle of Armor would be worth like fifteen bucks. Uh, I still do feel like I probably would have shelled out 15 bucks for Isle of Armor, but if I had to be like more realistic about it now, after playing Crown Tundra, I feel like Isle of Armor is like $10 worth of the expansion DLC, and Crown Tundra is that other $20. It's definitely a much more fulfilling uh, expansion in DLC than Isle of Armor was, by a lot. Isle of Armor was like a taste of what they were trying to give you. And that makes sense because Olive Armor was more about, it was about um, the bonds and like the journey of getting like, you know, the Cup Fu, going through that little storyline of training at the dojo and getting Cup Fu to evolve into the Orochifu, depending on which one you wanted. I got the, the Fighting Dark type. I love that motherfucker. It's on my main team. I love him so much. It's great. Um, and then being able to do the collecting the Max Mushrooms to make the soup so you can make Pokemon with the potential to Gigantamax be able to Gigantamax now. Or vice versa if you wanted to turn it off. I don't know why you would want to not have your Pokemon Gigantamax. But it is what it is. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, Isle of Armor was fun in my opinion. I know a lot of people, there are people who didn't like it and didn't think it was worth it. But I feel like they were still basing that thought process of, of like, I paid $30 and this is all I got. Even though we knew another expansion was coming on the way, that was a with that $30, you know? But I feel like they were basing their expectations off of Isle of Armor alone, and it was too early to call. So I feel like people are already like, if this is what we're gonna get from Crown Tundra, then I don't fucking want Crown Tundra, and it's not worth the $30. Um, I, I have to disagree. Crown Tundra could have been better. I'm gonna get into what things I would have much rather them do, because I feel like they were trying to do something, and either they scrapped it, or they didn't have time, or they, just kind of like dick tease this i don't know but the crown tundra was fun um you get there it's another wide open area in space it's mostly snowy it's in the mountains you know there's like some there's like one certain kind of like grassy part uh but the main plot line of this game is about exploration more so than uh the journey you don't get like cub Fu as like a partner pokemon like cub Fu, and then like experience this like training kind of sequence of, uh, of a short storyline um it's more so you you travel around the tundra and you're you're legendary hunting you're essentially legendary hunting that's what crown tundra is all about it's getting legendaries all we do is catch these legendaries nigga that's what i'm talking about <laughs> but um i know some people had an issue with it because they're like oh just catch legendaries but i'm like Low-key, this is what people have been asking for. Because it's not like you're given legendaries. You have to earn them. You have to catch them. And um, no legendary, as far as I know, as far as I played, I played through like the main story stuff of the Crown Tundra. The only thing I haven't done yet is the Galarian Star Tournament, like the Cup, the little duo tournament. I haven't done that yet. I'm about to. I'll probably do it today. But I heard that one's fun. But, um... I'm mainly still talking about content on Crown Tundra, like the baseline storyline stuff. Uh, I remember people talking about it, and like after what happened with Gen Six, that uh, people missed the idea of like getting like events 
and having to go through like a little event storyline to do something and then you have to battle the legendary in order to catch it and i do agree with that because in gen 6 i think they just gave you fucking diancy and i believe they did the same thing with hoopa and volcanion and there was no like story thing related to it you kind of like could talk to like a random npc in kalos and they give you like some little fun facts about the legendary and that was it and i was like it's kind of fucking whack i kind of wanted like something involved with the plot i kind of also wanted an x and y2 or a pokemon z where zygarde was more important instead of it being the idea being scrapped entirely and zygarde's full form being reduced to a fucking fetch side quest in seventh gen but that's my personal that's that's my personal gripes um justice for kalos justice for kalos i think sixth gen is the weakest gen if we're talking about overall gameplay experience the one thing I'll say that it does flawlessly is it's online. It kind of revived competitive. But in terms of content, I'm like, bro, I didn't fucking do anything. <laughs> like, there's nothing to fucking do. There was no Battle Frontier. There's no Battle Subway. There's no World Cup. <laughs> there, there's nothing. There's nothing. You got like a... Sorry about that fucking noise. You got like a little Battle Mansion, which is like a watered down... Um, Frontier is just one fucking mansion and it's fun and you can play it with a buddy like tag team like a real-life friend Me and my buddy would play it a lot, but that was like it and then you have the looker side missions But those are fucking side missions. That wasn't like endgame content even 7th gen had like a more kind of engaging storyline with looker even though it was kind of more side questy still at least you got to catch ultra beast you know, I can give it the benefit of that. You didn't fucking catch anything in Looker's side story, like anything special. At least you could catch the Ultra Beast, even though it wasn't super story-heavy. And then Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon had, like, the Ultra Wormholes, so you could at least go out to the different Wormholes and different environments and catch the other Ultra Beasts and other Legendaries. That was cool. But I feel like Crown Tundra does it a lot better, because I actually feel like, for the most part, I'm exploring the, the the map, the Crown Tundra area, and, like, discovering things. And I thought that was really neat. So, in the main storyline of the game, there's three different uh, quests for legendaries. And the first main one is for, uh, what's it called? Calyrex is for Calyrex. And then, which is the, the little royal rabbit-looking Pokemon with the big-ass dome crown. Uh, then you have one involving the three Reggies plus the two new Reggies. And then the third one involves the Galarian uh, Legendary Birds. So all of these were pretty fun to do. And it kind of felt like a throwback to like, oh wow, I'm really exploring and catching stuff. It did bring me a feeling of nostalgia. Now this is coming from me. People were like, fucking idiot. How could it bring you a feeling of nostalgia? This is cheap. You fucking catch grab. You're just a sheep. Um, let me break down why I felt a feeling of nostalgia. When I played uh, the older Pokemon games, I'm mainly thinking back to like the main ones I played were being like Red and Blue, uh, Ruby and Emerald, Fire Red, Leaf Green. Those are probably like my early childhood hits because I didn't own Red or Blue version. Uh, I played with a friend and he let me use the Game Boy to play every now and then. The first Pokemon game I actually ever owned, I never owned a Gen 2 game until around the Soul Silver Heart Gold days, and I played that off emulator. Um, the first game Pokemon game I actually owned was Ruby. So I actually started off in Gen 3, even though Gen 1 is low-key my favorite gen. I'm a Gen 1-er that loves all the gens. Ho ho ho, we exist. <laughs> um, and so there's that, that thrill of adventure. 
And Gen 3 really delivered that thrill of adventure where you could go around and do stuff and find little hidden secrets, like all Pokemon games. And I feel like that idea of like searching through stuff and finding like hidden secrets, being like, oh, whoa, that's cool, is what a lot of modern Pokemon games have been missing. Now, don't get me wrong, I like modern Pokemon games, like Gen 6, Gen 7, Gen 8, pretty much the 3D generation. But I feel like finding those hidden legendaries and exploration and stuff like that has kind of been missing. You could kind of do that in Gen 6, but the only real thing you found was like Zygarde. And then they never did fucking anything with Zygarde in Gen 6. And they reduced into a fucking fetch side quest in Sun and Moon. And that really bummed me out because Zygarde deserved so much more. It was such an interesting legendary and the Zygarde forms are really cool. He deserves more love. Gen 6 just, Kalos in general deserves more love. Uh, AZ's Floette was in the code of X and Y with its own special move and its own little special, you know, the little color patterning it had. And it never got officially released. Never. So, and I think recently there's been info found that uh, X and Y did, they did have plans for like a sequel or some additions or events to X and Y. And they just got scrapped, and then they went to Gen 7. And I was just like, yo, what the fuck, dude? I... Come on, bruh. Come on, man. Come on, man. And like I said, uh... Gen 7 kind of did the stuff with the Ultra Beast to make you feel like, oh, cool, the exploration again. But it's like you go through a wormhole... You end up in like this one area and then you kind of move up. Oh, and then there's the, the Ultra Beast you fight it to catch it. Same thing with like the legendaries. So it was cool and it was a step in the right direction, I feel, but I still feel like it wasn't enough. It was kind of just like this side adventure you could do. When, I, when With Crown Tundra, you do actually explore around. You do actually travel the area. You do actually find stuff. So I feel like this is a big step in the right direction and ideally, what the 3D games, especially now that we're on console, now that we're fully going to be moving on to like the Switch and whatever beyond that is, uh, I feel like they could fully take advantage of this idea of exploration, even if they maybe lack in the graphical department or lack in the animations department. That's a different argument altogether, you know what I mean? And graphically and animation-wise, Pokemon could look better. Of course it could. I've never really had an issue with that though, like even with the 2D sprites and stuff like that. They've always, that's always been kind of like secondary to me from the idea of like, oh, I can explore this region and find little secrets and find like little mysteries and maybe questions that'll never be solved or unanswered, which it's always fun to do. And I feel like Crown Tundra has brought that idea back because we, not so with, much with Calyrex. With Calyrex, it's kind of like that introductory storyline to the Crown Tundra. You can get find little notes about the history of Calyrex and the Crown Tundra and why the people like worshipped it as a king. And one thing that surprised me that I didn't know about, it, other people probably already did, because leaks maybe, like it leaks into the code, but I didn't know Calyrex was going to have like this partner Pokemon it could combine with. It had like a horse, like a noble steed. It was, it was like a Pokemon that was really rambunctious and wild. And you have to help Calyrex gain that companion back because Calyrex has lost so much power that the steed kind of like doesn't respect him but he can't remember if his noble steed was an ice type or a ghost type 
And some people, some of the villagers argue that they heard stories that it was like, you know, this ice-type Pokemon with like this white fur and stuff like that. And some people argue it's a ghost Pokemon with this dark flowing mane. And depending on what you do during like a certain point in this storyline, you'll either encounter the ghost one or the ice one. I forget what they're called. Uh, let me see. Their name was kind of weird. That's why. So Pokemon. Uh. I don't remember their names. I'm gonna type in Calyrex's horse. <laughs> That's a Google search. I forget their names. That's why. Um. It's called a spec steer, spec spectrier, and the spec. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I guess there was promotional stuff too, and I just didn't know. So that was a cool surprise for me. Um, just tell me what the other name was. Spectre, and then it's like an ice one. Don't worry about the names. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you get his little horsey. They and then they combine into one Pokemon. There is a way to separate the two, so you can have Calyrex as its own Pokemon. Calyrex as its own Pokemon is Grass Psychic, and then the horses are either Ice type or Ghost type. I think they're Monotyped. I don't think they have Dual type. But when combined, when Calyrex is combined with the Ice one, it's Psychic Ice, and when it's combined with the Ghost one, it's Ghost Ice. Or, uh, Ghost Psychic, I'm sorry. Uh, and it has its own special moves. I believe the Ice one's more physical, and then, like, the, the Ghost one's more special attack. And it has, like, special moves specific to it. da 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 da, -da. And Calyrex is Psychic Grass, basically, because it's the thing that helped with the Harvest for the people in the crown tundra back back in the day which is why they revered it as a god or like a king because they and calyrex did that for the people because it was injured apparently and the villagers helped nurse it back to health so that's what it did in return they started revering him as a king he got all this great power off of like you know people's belief and faith in him but as time went by and the faith wavered he started to lose power that's why he lost his horse da -da -da -da. it's not too deep of a storyline you kind of help calyrex out uh he possesses that spelunking dude that you see, that kind of dude, that big black guy in the expedition year. His name is uh, Peony. I believe that's what his name is. Peony is great. Peony is best dad ever. Uh, Peony is like a really like energetic, he's an older dude. You could tell he's kind of like middle age, but he's full of energy. He's a big ass dude. He's always hyped. He's not very bright, but he means really well. And he's always down for like an adventure and you get wrapped up in that. Helping him with, with uh, his little expeditions for legendary Pokemon. Because he originally wanted to bring his daughter with him to do it. But his daughter doesn't want to be bothered doing doing all that stuff. And she doesn't want to be around her dad. Because he kind of is like real like mushy mushy. He's like stop trading me like a kid. She wants to go into the Max Raid Dance. Which I'll talk about too. Because that's another perfect way to hunt legendaries. And do that. So then you end up 
going with him instead of her, and that's how you end up winding up doing these legendary things. So Peony will show up, and he'll be like, holy fuck, it's Calyrex, and then Calyrex will possess Peony's body and speak through him. And that's how he talks to you throughout the storyline. And I feel so bad for Peony because I'm just like, bro, stop doing this to him. I'm just like, stop, please. Peony is great, though. He's, he's fucking cool. Other fun facts about Peony, though, and this is why I like the lead cards. Peony used to be a gym leader. Peony was a steel-type gym leader in the Galar region. Not only that, he is Chairman Rose's younger brother. Bro, that was awesome to hear. And apparently something happened and he mysteriously kind of just vanished from like the world of competitive battling or whatnot. And I think maybe he saw the darkness in Chairman Rose or something. Who knows? We don't know exactly what happens, but that's what his rare league card uh, alludes to. And also you can see like a picture on his rare league card of him, his daughter when she was younger. And what was apparently supposed to be his wife, but we don't get much information about his wife at all besides her being in that picture. So I don't know. Maybe his wife died and that's what happened too. Who knows? Who knows? But eventually, uh, Calyrex gets back with his horse. They fuse. And depending on which one you get, you'll get like him fused with the ghost one or the ice one. And then you can battle Calyrex, capture it, and you have Calyrex. And then, like I said, you can separate them. So you could have the two separate Pokemon. If you want the other horse, you're probably going to have to trade uh, from someone else's game. And similarly, that works with the Regis. So the Regis are definitely more explorative type. And it is definitely a callback to their original appearance in the uh, Hoenn games. Because there's going to be these old ruins or temples that you'll see throughout um, the Crown Tundra. Each one is for a different Reggie. One's for uh, Reggie Steel, one's for Reggie Rock, one's for Reggie Ice, and then there's one temple for the two new Reggies, Reggie Alecki and Reggie Drago, or Drago. Uh, now, each one of these temples, it shields shut. To open these temples, you have to do specific things to get them to open, which is a callback to you having to do the extremely specific weird shit involved with opening the temples and unlocking awakening the reggies in the hoenn games but unlike the hoenn games they're not nearly as fucking difficult to figure out the hoenn games were wild was a wild time bro how they expected a child to understand like oh i gotta use the idea of morse code to understand this and this and this and this and this and then i can open these doors is beyond me it's fucking weird I don't think I ever really originally got the Reggies when I first played Ruby because I had no fucking idea how to do it. I was also too busy challenging the Elite Four a hundred times because somebody on the playground told me uh, if you beat the Elite Four a hundred times, Steven will take you on the rocket ship that's in, what is it, Zootopolis, and you'll go into space and then you'll fight Deoxys and you can catch Deoxys. That of course was a hundred percent not true. But I believed it because I didn't have internet. Internet wasn't as big. Even even as far as back then when I was a kid, like, internet was still very, very, like, young. <laughs> like, for a lot of people, we didn't have the, like, oh, fuck, I can just go on my phone and go on Google. Like, we didn't have that yet either. So, uh, yeah, I was deceived. But... <laughs> But um, it's not as hard on here with the temples. Uh, they're, they're pretty easy riddles to figure out. 
The only one I had to look up, I believe, was Reggie Steele's, just because I was like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? And I felt stupid for not understanding it the first time. Um, the other the other ones are very obvious, but it, it's a cool little throwback, and you have to kind of, you, as you're torn the Crown Tundra, you'll eventually find them. They're not that hard to find either, but you get to explore the whole, like, Crown Tundra. You kind of go across the whole thing as you see them all. I'd say only one is kind of challenging to find, it's kind of hitting in the cut, but not so much so. And that's the one for the Regieleki, Regidrago. But for like, Reggie Steals I had to look up, it said something about, the riddle said something about a piercing cry, and I was like, what the fuck, do I have to have a Pokemon with a specific cry? Do I have to... You have to use the whistle function <laughs> that happens in the expansions. You know how you can uh, whistle to Pokemon? I believe you could do it in the wild area in general. But um, you have to whistle in front of the door, and then the door will open. And then you just light up all the dots, which represent Reggie Steele's eyes on the floor. And then boom, you can find Reggie Steele. Um, that's the only one I have to look up. The other ones are super obvious. Like uh, Reggie Rock, I don't forget what the riddle said exactly, but have a Pokemon in your party, in the front of your party, I believe, holding an Everstone. And then the door will open. Boom, easy as fuck. Uh, for Reggie Ice, you had to have like uh, a sentient like snowflake. So they were talking about the Pokemon Cryagonal. Cryagonal are very much so like right fucking near Regiice's temple. So boom, just scratch Cryagonal, uh, bring it up to the door, open it up, boom, you can get Regiice. So once you find where Regidrago and Regieleki's temple is just hitting in the cut, the real pretty much telling you have the other three Regis in your party with you to open this door. Now, here's where you have a choice. It's very similar to the horse thing. You can't get Reggie Drago and Reggie Alecki. There's only one temple and you can only get one of them at this temple, one or the other. There's a huge set of dots on the floor and you can either form it in the pattern of Reggie Alecki to catch Reggie Alecki or Reggie Drago to catch Reggie Drago. Once you catch one or activate one, you can no longer activate the other. So you have to choose which one you want. I chose Regieleki. Regieleki is fucking adorable. I want to say that first off. It's like by far the smallest Reggie, I think. It's like tiny. Like you can, especially when you see it like following you around in, in the Crown Tundra. It's small, but it hops around on those little springy electric legs and it's like super giddy. I like it. Um, I haven't seen Regidrago like interactions yet just cause I didn't catch Regidrago. I'll have to trade it from one of my roommates once they finish. I told him, like, hey, catch Reggie Drago, we'll trade, uh, get the Pokedex entry. But, um, Reggie Alecki is cool, it has its own little special move, I think it's called, like, Electro Web, or, like, not Electro Web, it's like a net or something, but it, it's, like, a powerful electric attack that traps the Pokemon it's used on in, like, this net and slowly does damage to them over time. It's a cool move. Reggie Alecki's a cool Pokemon, I like it. Um, and that's it. But you can also get Regigigas, and in order to get Regigigas, you need all five Regis. So you are going to have to trade for the newer Regi you didn't get. So for me, I'll have to trade and be like, yo, let me borrow your Regidrago really quick. And then I, you bring all four Regis, it's to a specific spot where there's a den, and then if you have all, all the Regis, you uh, click on the den, and I believe Regigigas is down there, and it drags you in, and you battle Regigigas. It is um, Dynamaxed, and it is level 100. So you want to beat it before the five turn, before five turns, because slow start will 
deactivate and then it'll get its you know its stats and Reggie Gigas what out slow start is overwhelmingly fucking powerful so it will probably slap up your team before then so that's a cool thing that you can do uh, so you can uh, you can now have a full team of Reggies in a Pokemon game there's six Reggies now you could have a Reggie squad <laughs> imagine rolling up to an online battle with a Reggie squad people would be like this annoying fucking nigga and his giant weird golem things but um that's it for the reggie one uh that's pretty much all you have to do for it the last one i feel like is the most interesting and also the one where i'm just like there there had to be more than to this than than left to the imagination um and it involves the legendary birds the galarian legendary birds now in order to trigger this one you have to go to uh this place called dinah hill the dinah hill tree or Dyna Tree Hill, and it's like the least snowy part. It's more like a grass area with nature, and there's like this giant tree with like these beautiful pink leaves and this special little fruit on it. So as you approach the tree for the very first time, you get a cutscene. This is like a full-on fucking cutscene, and you see like Galarian, uh, I believe it's Galarian Moltres at first that shows up and it's like eating one of the fruits from the tree and then galeria zapdos runs up and attacks it and then they're arguing with each other and then galarian articuno shows up out of the fucking cut and it's like yo let me get in on this and they're just like fighting amongst themselves and then they all notice you and they all look at you and you're like holy shit we're gonna fucking die <laughs> and then they just leave they just split up and leave and this is like a super throwback because it's a throwback to the roaming legendary thing you know how in like Especially in like, you know, like games like uh, Ruby and Sapphire where you had to go out and catch um, Latios or Latias uh, after you beat the game. They'll be roaming around the map. Or I believe, I believe it's the original second gen games that were the roaming legendary dogs. But I know in Fire Red and Leaf Green, depending on what starter you got, you would uh, be able to catch one of the legendary dogs. So, like, if you got Charmander, you'd be able to catch Suicune. I remember that one because Charmander I picked as my starter. I always picked the fire starter. Um, so, it, it's a throwback to that, to roaming legendaries. Except, you see them roaming around the map. It's not like, fuck, I have to find it on the map in the area. I hope it stays in that area, kind of lower to a point. Run around in the wild grass and then try to battle it and catch it. But it will try to run for me. <laughs> so, I got to mean look trap it. No, you'll see them on the field, like in the wild areas. So Articuno stays in the Crown Tundra. Uh, and in my opinion, it's the hardest one to catch because there's a certain gimmick to it. So the first one I actually caught was Galarian Moltres. Galarian Moltres is flying dark. Uh, for the Galarian legendary birds, their types, the only types that change are the, uh, what's it called? Their secondary type, or they're they're typing like the ice, fire, electric, which I don't really like. So like Moltres is flying dark, Articuno is flying psychic, and Zapdos is flying electric or flying fighting. I wish it was the other way around. I wish it was like fire dark, ice psychic, electric fighting, but you know beggars can't be choosers. Uh, so you get uh, Galarian Moltres. Galarian Moltres looks cool, and it actually gives justice to Moltres, I feel. Because uh, regular Moltres, I do not like its design. It looks like a rubber chicken with a little bit of fire on top of its head. 
I fucking hate Moltres' design, but Galarian Moltres looks fucking cool. It's all dark, and it's supposed to be like these anger-filled or like vengeance-filled like darkness that's in the form of flames. It's really fucking cool looking. Um, its special move, I believe, has a chance to flinch you. They all have the same base power and base accuracy for their uh, for their like unique attacks, and then they have like a secondary effect. And I feel like Galarian Moltres is the wackest effect because it has a chance to flinch you. So I'm just like, oh, I mean that's cool, I guess. But it's like a chance to flinch. But uh, you can find that in the Isle of Armor, and it's pretty easy to track its movements. It's like pattern of movement. So you can just kind of wait for it to show up at a certain spot, and then it'll, if you're in front of it, it'll stop flying, look down at you, and then it'll, like, attack you, and then you battle it and fight it. Uh, the next one I caught was Zapdos. It's in the wild area, like the first initial wild area you ever get to, and it's running around fast as fuck in a circle. Galar uh, Galarian Zapdos is fast as fuck. It's flying fighting, it doesn't usually fly, it just runs on its like legs and its legs are buff as fuck and I love Zapdos. Zapdos is my favorite of the legendary birds and I love Galarian Zapdos' design. It looks like a chocobo. It looks like a fucking chocobo. That's what I named it. I named it a chocobo. And um, it's shiny form. The shiny forms of the Galarian uh, birds are just like the, the Galarian design but with the um, original bird colors. So then Galarian Zapdos is just yellow, so I'm just like, wow, Galarian Zapdos, shiny Galarian Zapdos is a fucking chocobo. Dead ass. But you have to chase it down. This thing is fast as hell. There's two ways you can catch it. You can see its running pattern where it goes around in its circle as you chase it, and then kind of wait for it and kind of uh, pin it down and then you can catch it, or keep chasing it but and, and keep track of chasing it. Don't lose its tail and don't let it stop running because if it stops running it kind of gets time to like catch its breath before it starts sprinting again but if you, if you keep chasing it consistently and keep on its tail it'll slow down and then eventually you'll be able to just run into it and battle it uh it's it's cool i like it it's special move i i don't remember what the special moves were called but um it's special move is like this thunderous kick kind of thing something like that it jumps up in the air, charges its foot with lightning, and dive kicks you in the fucking face with its foot. Now, like I said, the moves have the same base power and base accuracy. I believe Moltres and Articunos are special based, and then Zapdos is a physical, but they still have the same, like, you know, base power, base accuracy. But Zapdos's effect is so much better because it lowers the defense stat every time it hits you. But it's like, I believe it's guaranteed. I believe every time when it hits you with that kick, with that thunderous kick move, it lowers your defense. It's not a chance to, it just does. So the more you like smack somebody with that kick over and over again, the more damage it's gonna do. So put like what? Uh, what's that What's that item that um, locks you into one move but it raises the power of the move or something like that? Boom, oh my God, that thing's dealing damage. So. <laughs> Already a better secondary effect than Moltres's chance to flinch. And I think Articuno's ability is probably the better of the three. I still like Zapdos' because it's a guaranteed thing, but... And I believe Articuno's... Articuno's is a chance to, but it's a much better, like, thing to have a chance to happen. And 
That is uh, Galarian Articuno. It's in the Crown Tundra. And you can track it down, and at the end, you'll find it at like a cliff point, like a certain area. But you should save before you do this because there's something you have to do before you can catch it fully. It'll make two like after images or like doppelgangers of itself, and you have to find the real one. If you find the wrong one, it'll fly off and you have to track it down and get all over again. So I'd recommend just saving right before you encounter it at that cliffside. That way, if you fuck up, you can just turn your game off, turn it back on, do the thing again. But when you battle it, you battle it down. Like I said, it's uh, Flying Psychic. It's special move, I think that's the only one I remember. It's called Icy Glare. It's a psychic type move, but it has a chance to freeze you. Still a better ability than a chance to flinch. I feel like they could have made Moltres' secondary ability better. I don't know. I don't know what they could have done, but I feel like they could have made it better. And, um, yeah, that's that's the Legendary Birds. I think they're really cool. The, the thing that I feel like is lacking is the cutscene. It seemed like the tr the, dino, the dino tree hill, like that big-ass tree, there was something of importance to it, but we really don't know. It's just this one cutscene where the Pokemon, the legendary birds eat fruit, they get mad at each other, fight, notice you, and then fly off. But it's like, what was the point of that tree? What was the fucking point? And there's also another tree in like near like uh, the temple, like the little shrine they built, the villagers built for Calyrex in the olden times. It's where you encounter his horse and then you battle it and try to catch it. And there's this big old ancient tree. It's at the top of this mountain in the shrine, and the shrine's built around it. And it's like an old tree. It has no like leaves on it. It kind of looks dead. And you and you would think like these two trees had something to do with each other, but we still don't know. And it's just kind of like, huh? What is the importance of this? Are we going to get something later, like more story stuff added on later that involves the Crown Tundra and these trees? There's also a special thing you can do where if you shake the tree on uh, Dino Tree Hill, keep shaking it, keep trying to nudge it, and you'll get attacked by a Dynamax Greedent. And if you beat the Dynamax Greedent, you get a shit ton of berries. As far as I know, you can only do this once. I didn't look it up either. I just kind of interacted with the tree and kept shaking it because I was like, maybe something will happen. And it did. And I was like, oh, cool. Ancient tree, nothing happens with that tree. Um, so... I thought those big ass trees would have something major to do with like a plot line that was going on. And I also thought some more like a different plot was going to happen than what happened in the Crown Tundra. Just because Mustard alludes to something that might be happening very soon, but he doesn't. He's like, no, don't worry about that for now. So I thought when we got to the Crown Tundra, like whatever was going to happen that Mustard was alluding to was going to be revealed. And it wasn't. So maybe we're going to get more. Maybe we're going to get more expansions, more news. There's still that... What what's that biggest jungle monkey Zorada Zorada that that hasn't been released yet? So that's another legendary that hasn't been released yet. So maybe it'll have an expansion with an area that it lives in, like maybe like a jungle kind of expansion. So we'll have another area. I'm thinking we'll get another expansion pass because usually we get a third version or a sequel set of games for a gen, except for Gen Six. They fucked over Gen Six, and we still haven't. And we got a $30 expansion with two expansions, or with two extra maps in it for 30 bucks. So maybe they'll do another one, like a two-pack with two maps in it. So maybe one of those will involve... And then maybe the fourth one will, like, conclude whatever, like, storyline they're alluding to in Galar that Mustard was talking about. Which would be cool, 
which would be cool. So I don't know. But um, overall, that's it for like the main stuff in the Crown Tundra. Uh, there is the Max Raidens. We talked about that before when we got more news about that stuff. So yeah, you 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 and three others go through like a system of like caves, and you're battling it out with Dynamax Pokemon. You get a rental Pokemon. You and everyone get a rental Pokemon, and here's how it works. You can't use your own Pokemon. You get a rental Pokemon initially. It's always random for these rental Pokemon. You and the team vote on which path you should take. Like, oh, and you'll see a silhouette of the Pokemon and whatever type it's going to be. So depending on your team construction for everyone, uh, you'll pick whatever type is best suited for you to take on. And then after you beat it, you can catch it. The catches for these Dynamaxes, as far as I'm, I've, I've seen, I've done these like two or three times now, they're guaranteed. You'll always catch them as long as you beat them. Uh, then you can choose to take whatever uh, Dynamax you just caught, and if somebody wants to switch it out for a Pokemon they already have because they think that Pokemon is the one they just caught is better, you can. So, like, let's say, you know, oh, we're tired and they haven't recovered and my Pokemon's kind of weak on health. You can switch it out for a fresh one. So you keep doing that until you get to the end, and at the end... The last Pokemon is always going to be, like, a legendary of some sort. After you beat the main storyline stuff for Crown Tundra, besides the Galarian Cup, that's after. That's kind of like endgame to this endgame. But, um, you get another special mission where people start seeing Ultra Beast down in these dens. So, after you beat the main thing, you also have a chance to catch Ultra Beast in these Max Raid dens. So that's kind of cool. They'll be like bosses too, along with the legendaries. So I thought that was kind of neat. So that people start reporting that Ultra Wormholes are opening up down there. So it adds on to that too. So boom, it's a legendary hunt. There's also more exploration you can do because you can catch the three uh, Swords of Justice from uh, Gen 5. Uh, Terrakion, Verizion, and Cobalion. That's Cobalion, and then Caldeo too. But the three legendary, uh, the three swords of justice you catch by tracking footprints. So as you go around the crown tundra, you'll see sets of footprints on the ground. And it'll either belong to Cobalion, uh, Terrakion, or Verizion. And once you collect enough, you can report it to Sonya. Sonya will like collect the data on the, uh, the footprints. Uh, add up the data and be like, oh, this Pokemon's probably in this general area. You can go to that general area, find the legendary, battle it, and catch it. Once you catch all three, uh, you can bring them with you, and then there's a certain place you can go to where you can attract Caldeo, and then you can catch Caldeo too. So that's more exploration to do. You're actually going around. That's what I'm saying. Like this, this, this uh, DLC actually has you exploring shit, and I thought that was kind of neat that they did that. So, in my personal opinion, I think Crown Tundra is great. I think it's a. Do I think it's amazing? No, because if I feel like they could have done more with the storyline. I know that I've been seeing like videos recommended to me about a bunch of events that you can encounter with certain like characters from uh, the main Sword and Shield storyline that you can encounter in the Crown Tundra. I don't know exactly how you trigger those yet because I haven't watched any of those videos. Once I uh, once I'm done with Cold Steel two, before I start Cold Steel three, I'll, I'll probably hop on back on Crown Tundra and like go through those and look at that stuff and through the Galarian uh, tournament also because. I hear that that shit's kind of fun, um, but yeah, there's a ton of that stuff too. So there's there's a good chunk of stuff, a good chunk of interesting stuff. 
In my personal opinion, I think it's worth the price. I think it's I think it's worth it. Like I said, if Isle of Armor is like ten dollars for this thirty dollars, Crown Tundra is definitely the other twenty dollars. It's it's worth it in my opinion. Niggas can call me a hate niggas can call me a sheep, niggas can say I'm lying. In my personal opinion, I enjoy it. I've had fun. I think I, I've had a good time with what I've spent for the thirty dollars. And I'm glad we got this instead of like a third version or an updated version for sixty dollars. That just kind of had this added on. Rather, I got these two things for $30. So, there you go. That's my take on it. Uh, I do. If you if you like Sword and Shield, if you like Sword and Shield or you thought Sword and Shield was I, I recommend the DLCs. I recommend the expansion pass. I say go for it. If you didn't like Sword and Shield, I probably say don't get this because you probably just won't like it because you just don't like Sword and Shield, and that's okay. You have the right to your opinion. You have the right to not spend your money. No one's going to fault you for it. Uh, but don't be talking shit about shit you haven't bought, is what I'm saying, too. Uh, also, I believe later this month they're releasing um, like a special bundle of Pokemon X and y, or Pokemon Sword and Shield with the expansion passes bundled together for like a reduced price. I believe it's like 50, 60 bucks for everything. So I know people are going to complain, but you also have to keep in mind. Sword and Shield is like a year old now, right? It came out 2019. So it's 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 2020. So Sword and Shield are like a year old now. So the fact that they have bundles like that, it makes sense. Also, you spent your $60 on release and then got these expansions much, much later in 2020 for $30. So I guess it makes sense that if somebody who doesn't have the game can buy it for a bundle, it's more of an interesting deal to them because they'd be like oh i can just get all this shit for like a deal so yeah that's that's all i have to say about that i recommend it i like it uh if i find any other interesting bits in crown tundra i'll be sure to let you guys know that was pretty much the big meat and bulk of the podcast episode i talked about that for a minute so i got two more things i want to talk about and these things are more of like mm, complaints um I'll start off with the with the Yu Yu Hakusho video because it's it's going to be a shorter thing to talk about because I'm going to be reading this uh, review and why it's poorly made and why why it's completely unnecessary to be made. But okay, so this morning this wasn't going to be on the podcast. This morning I'm on Facebook. You know I'm laying in bed. It's my day off. I woke up. I'm just scrolling through Facebook before I get up and um, I see somebody had shared a video and it said the video link said i do i do not like you hakusho or i don't like you hakusho or something like that i don't like you hakusho that's what it's called i'm looking at it right now and it's funny because if you type in i don't like you hakusho on youtube his video pops up it, it it's like the first thing on the search because that's what the video is called and it uh was made two months ago it's not from a big channel either so i don't think he was doing this for like attention or anything i think this was generally like he honestly didn't like the show which is fine what i'm gonna get into is the video itself but um it came out two months ago it's got 1.6 k views and it had like i think like 29 likes and like 230 dislikes or something like that let me check let me pause it sorry if you heard that i i'm pausing it um it's got 30 likes and 216 dislikes. So it's not a very liked video. 
And, uh... <laughs> for, for obvious reasons, Yu Yu Hakusho is a beloved series, and I feel like, especially in the last few years, Yu Yu Hakusho has gotten, like, a lot of love in the modern age. There's a lot of, like, Yu Yu Hakusho-like modern fans, and I think that's partially due because of the OVA being announced and the OVA releasing, and in, in general, like, people my age, like, yeah, dude, I love Yu Yu Hakusho. Anywho, the person shared this video, and I want to also start off with this. The person who shared the video to the group said, like, look at this dumbass video, da 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 I hadn't watched it yet, so I didn't know if it was stupid. I didn't know if the dude was actually giving detailed points. I didn't know how long the video was. But I was reading this dude who shared it and his caption to it, and he was saying we should all click on the video and, like, flag it and get this trash removed off YouTube. And this is why his post eventually was taken down. Like, the post got taken down, like, five minutes later. Because I clicked on it to watch the video. And I was watching part of it. And then I was going to comment on his art, his uh, his post and say, like, dude, why are you trying to flag this? Just because he didn't like the show doesn't mean we should flag him and take his video down. It's his opinion. And that's how I feel. You have the right to your opinion, whether I agree or disagree, whether I think your opinion is shit, whether I think your opinion is great. At the end of the day, as long as you're not hurting anyone, I don't give a fuck. You can post your opinion on the internet. He's not doing anything wrong. Why would I flag his video? That's fucked up. Which is why that dude's post on the in the group got taken down. Because it's like, dude, you're trying to bring this malicious army of disgruntled Yu Yu Hakusho toxic elitist to, to like this dude's channel. And it's fucked up. Like, and... And that was hella toxic to me, like, the fact that he said, let's flag it. I don't know if he was being sarcastic or not. I felt like he was dead ass. And I was just like, dude, don't do that. Don't flag his video just because you don't like the video. You know what you do when you don't like someone's YouTube video? You dislike it. Simple as that. You dislike it. You click the dislike button. I watched the video. I didn't like it. I disliked his video. I, I watched the whole thing. And I disliked his video. Um, the thing about this is, the guy's video, it's, it's 13, it's 13 minutes, it's like 13 minutes, 20 seconds. If you want to watch it, I guess I'll link the video in the description for this podcast episode. Do not send any hate this man's way just for the sake of malicious hate. Don't threaten him, don't attack him, don't do anything. I know I don't have a lot of people who listen to the podcast but for anyone who does, please do not fucking do that. He is a human being. I do not know this man. He had a difference of opinion about a certain show with me. But he not hurting nobody talking about it. I don't give a fuck. Let him... If he hates you, Hakusho, let him hate on you, Hakusho. I don't give a shit. Do not attack this man. Now, if you watch the whole video and, you know, you disagree with him and you don't like it, yeah, you can dislike it. You're a human being. Yeah, you can tell him... I disagree with you in the comments. Don't attack this person just because he has a difference of opinion. That's not okay. That's not fucking okay. And a lot of the comments, I was reading through the comments too, a lot of these people, you know, while some of them are seeming like, yeah, dude, I definitely disagree with you on that. There are a couple of people that did agree with him. And, um, but there was a lot of just like, kind of like shitty, cringy, toxic fan base in, in the comments. And I was just like, ugh. I fucking hate toxicity in fandoms, but you can't avoid it. There's a toxic population in every fandom no matter what. No matter fucking what. 
and Yu Yu Hakusho, regardless of it, regardless of if it's my favorite or not, is no exception to the rule on that. And um, yeah, that's what I saw here. But to go into his video, uh, real quick, just to talk about it, he didn't really say much. You know, it was, and I'm not talking about just because the video was 13 minutes. In that 13 minutes, he really didn't say much about the show. He kind of gave like a really, really, really quick summary of the entire series. And he just said he would bring up something, like he'd bring up like a character. Or he'd be like, yeah, so in this arc or in this season. And then just say if he did really like it. He did, he, things he did like, he did like the main characters. Like Yusuke, Kuwabara, Hiei, Kurama. And he liked their interactions and dynamics and character aspects between each other. So, you know, he gave credit where credit was due. But he didn't really say what he disliked. He just was like, season one was like really boring. It was the worst season of all. It was so hard to get through. I complained about this show to my friends after watching every episode. I didn't want to watch an episode. And the next day when I knew I had to keep watching, I didn't want to keep watching, da-da-da-da-da. It sucked, this and that. But he wasn't really like breaking anything down. He wasn't even really like describing what he didn't like. He was just like, yeah, and then this happened, and it was stupid. And yeah, and this happened, and I didn't like it. And it was just like, but why? Like, you need to describe that. You can't just say, like, this is my... I Like, it's kind of like a pointless video. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't... He... he I'm not entitled to him explaining to me why he doesn't like Yu Yu Hakusho, but at the same time, just like, what is the point of putting this video up if you're not really going to describe why you didn't like the show? Like, you're just kind of like saying something and then saying i didn't like it and then this and i didn't like it and then this and like his break his like quick summaries of certain characters i'm like well that's just kind of misleading like with hiei he said hiei was the best character in the show a lot of people agree with him a lot of hiei well huge amount of hiei fans uh i think i've said this before but hiei is my least favorite of the main four that does not mean i don't like hiei Hiei is within my top 10 favorite characters in the Yu Hakusho. show. I'm just saying out of the four like main boys, he is my least favorite. Someone has to be the least favorite out of the four main boys, I'm sorry. Um, for, my, for that order, for me, it's Kulbar, then Yusuke, then Karama, then Hiei. That's just how I feel about it. That's my personal opinion. I still have a lot of love for Hiei. I still, you know, defend Hiei when niggas be downplaying Hiei, especially when they say he's not a swordsman. But yeah, of course, like, you know, he, he thought Hiei was the best character. That's fine. But he also was like, and then Hiei became a good guy for, yeah, whatever reason. I'm just like, you're making it seem like he just became a good guy for the sake of becoming a good guy? That's not what happened. Hiei wasn't really even, like, a good guy, I would say, until near the end of Dark Tournament, early chapter, Bla around chapter Black. And even then, I even really, I wouldn't label him as a good guy. Like, he had a respect for Yusuke. After their first encounter, after Yusuke ended up beating him during that case, like that early, that first case. And so he also was on like a certain probation with Spirit Wolf. And if he helped Yusuke and Kuwabara along with Kurama during the Four Saint Beast arc, they would get their, sen their, their sentences lifted. So he was there because, you know, he didn't want to go to jail, essentially. He didn't want to be punished. But he, like, he's, he also wanted to settle the score with Yusuke, which means he had a certain level of respect for him. And he, we already knew that he respected Kurama, and they had kind of, like, this background together, and he already had, like, a certain level of respect for him. 
as we see more and more of throughout the series, he's always just respected Kurama. He had a level of respect for Yusuke because Yusuke beat him in a fight and he feels Yusuke is a worthy opponent and rival. And though he never would... Initially, he didn't have any respect for Kuwabara, of course. And I feel by the end of the series, initially he... I don't think he would say it, but I think by the time we get to around the chapter black area, he does have a certain level of respect for Kuwabara and at least the way Kuwabara acts as like kind of like a warrior in a sense like he he respects Kuwabara's sense of like not backing down like he's not like a coward or anything he still thinks Kuwabara is an idiot of course and is always going to poke fun at Kuwabara but he would never say it but he does have a certain level of respect for him so as the series progresses for Hie as a character we start to see Hie has his own kind of like complex honor code like when Seryu killed Byako it upset Hiei the way he did it even though Hiei's been like ruthless and cold-blooded something about the act of like someone who could like couldn't even defend themselves anymore like couldn't even fight and wasn't asking for a fight was asking for help just being killed like that didn't sit right with him so we got that aspect of Hiei we knew Hiei was a ride or die nigga we knew like hey if we lose we fighting our way out of here right now like when he was uh, sealed behind Ruka's barrier, and he was still charging the Dragon of the Darkness Flame anyway. He had a sense of pride, and he was trying to hide the fact that even though he obliterated Zero with the Dragon of the Darkness Flame, he didn't want to have to go that far that early in the tournament because he didn't master the technique, which leads to his struggle throughout the Dark Tournament of trying to learn to tame the dragon. And we see that honor of like not killing someone who really is defenseless at that point, when uh, he stomps Bui at the end after consuming the dragon in the darkness flame, and Bui's like, "Kill me," and he's like, "I'll listen to losers if you want to kill if you want to die so badly, kill yourself." It's also that aspect of like, yeah, he is not gonna fucking listen to you, nigga. You lost. But also, he is like, it. it he doesn't see anything honorable about honorable about killing him at that point. So, and then of course by by chapter black we see that he is a full-on companion when uh, Yusuke dies and him, Kurama, and Kuwabara fucking jump into Demon World and break the Kakai barrier just to fight Sensui in an attempt at revenge. And he like fucking <laughs> slings that Dragon of the Darkness Flame at Sensui and he's like, a one-way ticket to hell, you bet! Like, that's the character development we see of Hiei. Hiei kind of slowly bonding with them like, only being around and helping out because it would benefit him personally. Or Yukina was involved, like, in Turukane's stronghold, and that was his sister. And we get more layers of that character as the series goes. He didn't just suddenly become a good guy. He, over time, became an ally. Because of all these events that led him to have to help. He could have gotten his set sentence lifted if he helped in the Forsane Beast arc, so he did. He, his sister was involved in Tarukane's stronghold, so he pulled up. He was also forced to attend the Dark Tournament, so he pulled up. That's why throughout most of Chapter Black, after their first encounter with the three psychics and Genkai telling what's going on, he is not even fucking present until Yusuke almost gets killed by Sniper. And then he he sees like, you know, the portals to demon, the demon world opening up and all these demons showing up. So he's like, okay, this looks fun, I'm gonna help out and fight now. He what didn't just suddenly become a good guy. Same thing with Karama. Uh, he's just like Karama was like this demon fox that possessed like the spirit of a boy. 
when the mom was pregnant with him, and then because he was a mama's boy, he suddenly became good. No, no, Karama's original plan was to escape once he recovered enough energy, but and he wasn't very nice to the family, but then when the, the biological father passed away and the mom, he realized, and the mom was, you know, single and alone, he realized, you know, how much they really meant to him. And then slowly, as he grew up until the age we see him in the, the current point in Yu Yu Hakusho, when he first encounters Yusuke, he's kind of like fully on just like, I want to keep my mom safe, she deserves to be happy. So Kurama's kind of always been that way. So it's just like, ugh. And then he said Botan sucks. And I don't know, man. He he was just kind of like baseline saying like, I didn't like this, I didn't like this, I didn't like this. But not explaining why he didn't like it. And the way I saw the, the video was like, you could take what he said, like the baselines of what he said, apply it to any other shonen anime, and it would sound like the same thing. It, it would fit because he's not going into detail he you know and it's just like what is the point of this video you're not explaining anything and again he can keep his video up like dude at the end of the day like it's it's up to him what he wants to do with his life and his video shouldn't be flagged just because you like Yu Yu Hakusho and he doesn't and then he made a video about it like no absolutely not and no hate deserves to be thrown this guy's way um I might not even link the video just 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 out of respect because I don't want I don't even want the slightest chance of somebody who listens to this to go to his channel and fuck with him. Uh, but you could probably easily find the video at this point as I've been describing it. I'm just not gonna link it. But um, yeah, dude, I, I don't know. This it was it was like a weak video. It was just like this is not how you review something, you know? This is not how you talk about something. You're just kind of like saying it's bad for the sake of saying it's bad and if you want to tear into something and call it shit and this and that you can do that explain why though like you there's videos that are super like mean to certain like games or series they're just like this complete fucking dog shit but they explain why they go into topics of why <laughs> like you know regardless if i agree or disagree at least they're like expressing themselves and expressing their opinions instead of just saying oh and then Yusuke got another power up and it was stupid it's just like nigga come on now um but that's all I have to say about that I just wanted to bring that up because I'm just like you know everyone has an opinion and I thought this opinion was bad just because I'm like you're not really saying much but at the same time he still has the right to his opinion so don't flag his fucking video. That's why that got the, the poster who posted this on the group saying let's flag it got his post taken down. Because what the fuck, dude? That's not okay. Don't do that. But that's all I have to say about that. Moving on to kind of like the last topic. This happened early last week. Um, now, I've been playing Trails of Cold Steel. I talked about it for the last few weeks. And... Hold on, let me see if this, this article won't load now. Let me try to reload it. Uh, but I've been playing it for not even the last few weeks. I've been playing the series for like a month or two now. I'm almost done with two. Like I said, I was talking about that earlier. But I'll look up information about like certain like, oh, what's the best build for a character for this situation or this boss fight? Oh, where can I get such and such item? You know, shit like that just to kind of like help me along. I'm not trying to complete the game be a completionist of the game 
But, you know, just tips and tricks on boss battles that I get stuck on, shit like that. So, of course, uh, thanks to my FBI agent, I now get recommended a lot of Trails of Cold Steel articles. <laughs> um, and with the recent release of Trails of Cold Steel 4 uh, to the U.S., that came out, I believe, October 26th. Which is why the other Trails of Cold Steel games were on sale. Because 4 was about to release, so I was like, fuck yeah, I can finally play these. And I bought 1 through 3 uh, at really good little discounts. And um, So one of the articles that was recommended to me that I didn't read at first, but then a few days later I was like, you know what, fuck it, let me read this. It's from the website Siliconera. Sil Sil Siliconera? Is that what it's called? Is that how it's pronounced? You know? I don't know. But they do a lot of gaming news. That's that's their thing. It's one of the gaming journalism websites. So, <laughs> here's the article. And here's why it was like bugging me so long to the point where I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to read it. Uh, the Legend of Heroes Trails of Cold Steel 4 will intimidate newcomers. I want to repeat that. The Legend of Heroes, Trails of Cold Steel 4, will intimidate newcomers. You, you don't say. You don't say. I never would have thought that the fourth game in the series would confuse someone who had never played a game in the series. Now, for those of you unaware about Trails of Cold Steel, Trails of Cold Steel is actually a sub-series of a bigger overarching series called The Legend of Heroes. So, The Legend of Heroes spun off, had like a, a spun-off section of titles called The Trails Games. So, The Trails Games have different sub-series. They're all set on this one giant continent of Zamora, and each game series in the Trails series is featured on a different country is featured in a different like country or kingdom you know land within that continent so like the first games the games that started it off are called trails in the sky and that's set in the liberal kingdom so you have trails in the sky first chapter trails in the sky second chapter and trails in the sky the third after that we move on to the crossbell games they these are the only games that have not seen an english release which is weird because the Trails in the Sky games all got English releases. And the Cold Steel games, which came out after these Crossbell games, have now all gotten English releases. But the Crossbell games, which are between these two, have not gotten an official US release. I do not know why this is, but a lot of people, a lot of Trails fans, really want these ones to be translated because this is like. Seems to be like a very big favorite. There's two games in this series. Uh, they don't have an official English title, but a lot of fans translate them to Trails to Zero and Trails to Azure. Azure. So we got those two. They're set in the Crossbell State, which is between these two giant powerhouses that feud against each other being the Erebonian Kingdom and the Republic of Calvert. Of uh, Calvin. And then we have, finally, the current uh, section that just ended. Well, it ended a few years ago in Japan. The fourth game to this uh, just came out in America. Trails of Cold Steel. It's set in the Erebonian Kingdom. There are four games. The fourth game is called End of Saga. And I believe it's called that because 
it's supposed to be like this big kind of like culmination to not only end the trail saga because trails of cold steel is the longest series in the trails uh game collection and i believe they also stated that after cold steel the the the, the sub series for the trails games won't be longer than two games anymore trails in the sky is kind of an exception because it's not a direct sequel trails in the third is not a direct sequel to trails second chapter though it is related so you know that's a whole different thing there's a lot of story to unpack here right so that's like what and they're currently on the next game in japan i believe it's uh translate the trails of creation it's not out in america yet it just came out uh, a few months back in japan but not including that game let's just count the games that are out before trails of creation so you got the three uh sky games you got the crossbell game so that's two and you got the cold steel game so that's four that's nine games, right? Trails of Cold Steel 4 is the ninth game in the Trails franchise. It's the fourth game in the Cold Steel franchise. It's the ninth game in the Trails franchise. Now, I've only played the Cold Steel games. From what I've uh, learned online, I did a lot of internet research because I was interested in these games for a while. And from what a lot of people were saying, Cold Steel 1 and Cold Steel 1 was made as a good entry point for newcomers who hadn't played previous trail games, but they would want you to go back and play the previous ones before 3. Once you get to Trails of Cold Steel 3, there's going to be a lot of lore and information that gets brought up and things that happen in the previous game series that you're going to need to know or else you're going to be lost. With 1 and 2, you don't really need to know those things as much, but when it comes to 3, you should. Uh, so the way I did it was I knew I really wasn't going to have enough free time to go all the way back and play through the Sky games and the Crossbell games. If I did do that, it would take me forever. It would take me like a long, long time to finally get to those because I'd be playing those on top of whatever new games came out. And I'm, I'm, I also have a job and I'm in a very long-term relationship. I like spending time with my girlfriend. I have friends. I have... You know, I have shit I want to do. I have the podcast, I write, I do music, you know. There's stuff I want to do about it. So it's kind of hard to get to that stuff, and it, I wish I had gotten to the Trails games when I was still, like, you know, younger in my childhood, because then I wouldn't need to play catch-up. But there are ways to play catch-up, and I'm going to show you, uh, I'm going to give you some news on how. If you've been looking to get into the Trails games, and if you do have the time to, I would 100% recommend... You just play them from the beginning. You go to Trails in the Sky, play through those. I know they have um, little fan subs for uh, Trails to Zero and Trails to Azure that you can play. So I'd say play those. Then play the Cold Steel games. If you have the time to, I 100% say do it. I 1000% say do it. There's no reason not to. If you're like me and you don't really have the time... I went to YouTube and I typed in Trails in the Sky Explained. Now, somebody made a nice little playlist uh, to catch up on Trails in the Sky and the Crossbell arcs. I thank them for this. Oh, so sorry if you heard that. Uh, <laughs> it's 18 videos. And it's a compilation of, I believe, three different YouTubers, although I only listened to two of them. 
There are uh, three videos I skipped. There are walkthroughs of uh, voice acting from like uh, the special editions to the evolution editions to uh, Trails, uh, Trails in the Sky the Third. So it's not something I really needed to like listen to, listen to. Plus, I was listening to it like you know with headphones on a lot of the time and like not really looking at the pictures a lot. Like sometimes I would just because I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. But I wasn't going to pay attention, and these games were in the Japanese dub, not in English, so I just kind of skipped over those. But if you're just looking for the information summaries, somebody made a playlist. Just I just typed in Trails in the Sky Explained, and you just scroll down a little bit, and you'll find it. Um, the playlist is called Trails in the Sky plus Crossbell Arcs Catch-Up. It's 18 videos, and somebody by the name of DarkPhoenix69 made it. Nice. Uh, so shout out to the person for creating this playlist, and then I want to shout out to Oni Black Mage. I was actually subscribed to Oni Black Mage, and this is the reason why I started taking interest in the Trails games because about it was it was a few years ago he released a video called now Oni. If you don't know who Oni Black Mage is, he's a YouTuber that uh, does this series called Recapitation, where he pretty much takes like a game. Uh, it explains and gives you like a very quick summary of what happened in the game, events in the game. The, the length can depend on how big the game was and how interesting the game was and how much detail there was. But um, so that's the first video here. It's what happened in Legend of Heroes: Trails in the Sky first chapter. It's about 30 minutes long, and it just gives you a brief summary of what happened in Trails in the Sky first chapter. And how Trails in the Sky first chapter ends on a cliffhanger to lead to second chapter. This is when I started taking interest in these games. I was like, yo, this sounds cool. And, and I had always seen, you know, uh, Cold Steel in the PlayStation Store. And I was just like, fuck, I kind of want to play these. And I was looking up information. And looking at the, these games and the way people are explaining them, it does seem very intimidating to jump into. And it is a lot of lore and a lot of complicated political intrigue and other storylines to... Encapsulate. We're gonna get to the article. I'm just, exp this, I'm just. This is necessary to really explain and express what I'm feeling as I read through this article. But um, this is my experience before I, I really jumped into the cold steel. So I watched this playlist. So Oink Black Mage had the first chapter video. Then shout out to uh, I believe her name is Lady Virgilia. She did story summaries. Of Trails in the Sky second chapter, Trails in the Sky the third, both the Crossbell games. I believe she's done a story sum full story summary to Cold Steel one. And I believe she's currently doing a summary for Cold Steel two. Um, she did these in response to Cold Steel three about to be coming out around that point in time, and she was making these comprehensive video summaries for people who, you know, were looking to either refresh themselves on the series. Or who hadn't played these older games and wanted to know more because they played Cold Steel 1 and 2 and she didn't want them to be lost on certain story elements once they started playing Cold Steel 3. So thank you, thank you, thank you. These videos are so fucking detailed. Only Black Mage's recapitations are really good, but they're very uh, faster paced summaries. He, he talks very fast so you really have to pay attention. Whereas with um, these story summaries, they're meant to you for you to sit there and really absorb the knowledge being given to you and uh i loved it. it it's fucking great 
she did a great job going over the story in the plots of these games and these game storylines and the characters and their developments and their journeys fucking really amazing fan fucking tastic but yeah so and they get longer as they go like uh so you got trails in the sky story summary part one prologue to chapter three it's like 26 minutes then the part two of that is chapter four to chapter six it's 31 minutes uh part three chapter seven to end is 45 minutes then you have uh trails in the sky the third it's a shorter one so you got part one prologue to chapter four and that's 27 minutes and then part two uh chapter five to end is 55 minutes then there's some bonus information for these special little cutscenes for uh a lot of lore that's explained in trails in the sky to third then you had um path dingo trails he did the uh the walkthrough videos of the evo voice acting the evolution voice acting for trails in the sky to third i didn't watch those videos but shout out for him still to doing those and then you got the uh, Zero no Kiski games, which is uh, Trails to Zero. So you have the story summary for part one, prologue to chapter one, which is an hour. Then part two is chapter two, so part way through chapter three. <laughs> um, that's an hour and one minute. Part three, chapter three to uh, part way into chapter four, 44 minutes, and then part four the rest of chapter four to the end of the game which is an hour and 20 minutes um then you have the Aranokiske games which is the trails to azure azure uh and they're like part one's 56 minutes part two is an hour and seven minutes part three is an hour and 17 minutes and the final part is two hours and two minutes so i'm not bullshitting you when i say like these are some comprehensive fucking summaries. Um, like, she's really breaking it down. She's really telling you what happened in these games. So you can get a full understanding. So if you're like me, and you don't have time to actually put, you know, 60 to 80 hours in each of these fucking games, um, but you have easier access to Cold Steel and wanted to play those, this is the perfect way to catch up. It's a perfect way to catch up perfect way to catch up highly recommend that if you do have the time to play the games i still say play the games eventually one of these days you know i am going to get the chance to go back and actually play the sky games and the crossbell games especially if they fucking make a u.s release of the crossbell games that means they're going to come out on console and pc and shit oh yes and i believe um the sky games are on pc so you you get those if my laptop can handle it maybe i can buy them on steam and play them who knows but um, I, I still even do eventually plan to go back and play those older games. But since I was on Cold Steel now, I wanted to get all that information I possibly, as much information as I possibly could. Nothing's ever going to compare to actually playing the game, but this is the closest thing to it, especially if you want to better understand the lore in the world and everything happening leading up to the events in the Cold Steel games. So, with that being said, I explained all of that to you just so you can understand how big this series is and how much you do need to understand about these games if you're going to play these games. Now, if you're a newcomer, I understand it's intimidating, but like I said, the YouTube video summaries help. They do help. In fact, I'll link that. I'll link that. Uh, the I think I can link the playlist. 
in the description for the podcast. If you're looking to get into the games, which but you don't have time to play those old ones before the Cold Steel ones, boom, there you go, I got you. But um, this article, <laughs> going back to the article, this article came out November 2nd. Uh, the Legend of Heroes Trails of Cold Steel 4 will intimidate newcomers. Of course it fucking will. Especially after what I just explained to you. Of course it fucking will. Why, as a newcomer, would you jump into a game this far in? This is technically the ninth game in the entire Trails series. But even not thinking of that, even like thinking of them as separate games still, it's the fourth game in the Cold Steel series. So why would you jump in on the fourth and final part? It's called Cold Steel 4 End of Saga. Why would you why would you jump in on this part? And I'm going to read this article because it's such bullshit. It's such bullshit. Now, whether or not he thought the game overall was good or not, if he thought it was convoluted, if he didn't like the ending, if he thought it was lackluster, that's up to their opinion. I haven't played Cold Steel 4. I skip over when he goes into the story stuff. He does leave a note of when he starts to do that, so I'm glad. So I could avoid any spoilers, because like I said, I'm only on Cold Steel 2. I was just very curious about reading this, because I was just like... What? Like, of course it'd be intimidating to newcomers. That makes complete sense why it would be. You shouldn't jump into the fourth game if you're a newcomer. But it is by uh, Kazuma Hashimoto. So, no huge hate to you, dude, but, like, I... What the fuck? I don't understand. Okay. The Legend of Heroes Trails of Cold Steel 4 is the latest entry in the series and seeks to bring together plot threads left dangling from the previous mainline entries and spin-offs. Trails of Cold Steel 4 begins where Trails of Cold Steel 3 ends, throwing together a cast of ensemble characters that those familiar with the franchise will immediately recognize. With a story that comments on the threat of militarization and the reckoning of, all, of an Imperial force, Trails of Cold Steel 4 seeks to provide a meaningful narrative experience. However, as with any series with more than a handful of numbered titles, it remains mostly inaccessible to those looking to immediately jump in. No shit. So why are you jumping in at the fourth game? That's that's my that's what I'm saying. Like, why are you jumping in at the fourth game? Now there are certain games where you could do that because the games aren't like interlocking storylines. Like Final Fantasy. You can jump into Final Fantasy at any fucking entry you want. Because each numbered game is separate from the previous numbered game. I can play 6 before playing 5 because the stories have nothing to do with... Sorry for that car driving light. Because the stories have nothing to do with each other. Now there are certain outliers like with 10 there's a Final Fantasy 10-2. But it's called Final Fantasy 10-2. It's called Final Fantasy 13 and then Final Fantasy 13-2. Like, you know what I mean? It's still linked to that numbered title. There's certain things like that. Dragon Quest does it. I believe the only three games that are, like, fully connected in terms of world for Dragon Quest are 1, 2, and 3. And I know people kind of... I think there are people out there that link 4, 5, and 6 somehow. I don't 100% know. But 1, 2, and 3 I know are in the same world. It's the same timeline. Because it goes Dragon Quest 1 and 2, and they... They're like kind of like uh, the descendants of this legendary hero, Erdwin, or uh, 
the the legendary hero. I forget what his name is. I think Erdwin is talking about something from Dragon Quest XI. But in Dragon Quest III, it's actually a prequel to one and two, and you are that hero that uh, the characters are descendants of in one and two. So that's cool. So it's all one trilogy. But other than, you could still jump into one, two, or three without having to play the other ones sub subsequently first. They're not like super tight linking storylines that require you to do this. You can jump in any. There's games like that. But Cold Steel is not one of these games. Betrayal series is not that set of games. Um, and easily Google searching that would have you know that. Why? And even reading like the summary of a game and like the store before you play it would have you know that. So like, why? Again, why are you jumping in? Sorry for interrupting. I'm just like, it's such a. F it's so stupid. So next paragraph. <laughs> I've never played any of the Legend of Hero games in any capacity. I've never played any the Legend of Hero games in any capacity. Okay. Um, I always had something of an interest in the series, and Trails of Cold Steel 4 is my introduction to everything and anything I know now. So it's similar to me, where I've always had an interest in the series, though I had never played the games previously. But differently from me, they chose not to try to research anything about the previous titles beforehand. They didn't look up recommendations of where they should start. They didn't even start at Trail. They didn't even start at Cold Steel One, which is easily accessible. I believe Cold Steel One is two and three are also on PC. <laughs> so it's like, what? Uh, where was I? Loading it up and navigating to the backstory menu immediately let me know what I was in for. And I have never felt so overwhelmed while learning about a series in all my time playing. Excuse me, I am so sorry. In all my time playing JRPGs. Now there is a backstory section on the main menu for uh, certain games in the Cold Steel series. Like there is a backstory section in the main menu for Cold Steel 2. If you need notes for previous story beats and previous characters and things that happen in Cold Steel 1. I feel like that's more of a refresher than like a full encapsulating backstory. It's They're very quick little summaries to read about characters and story events. Nothing is like this super crazy detailed amount of information that's going to give you pretty much everything that happened in Cold Steel 1 like to, down to the detail. To truly get that you would have to play the game or look at those YouTube summaries I recommended to you. That would be the next best thing. Those are like kind of like a primer. Those are kind of like, oh. Because Cold Steel 2 came out a year after Cold Steel 1, so... Oh, I, pro I haven't really been playing this game in the last year. Let me refresh myself on the basics before I jump right in. I remember stuff, but there might be certain things I don't remember. That's what I feel that stuff is for. Especially considering that Cold Steel 3 comes out, came out three years after 2, and then 4 came out a year after 3. So, yeah, they, they give you backstory information to help you better understand what you're about to get into. But that background information isn't for someone who's never played the games. Of course it's not. When they're making the games, they expect that you've already played these games and know this information. So they shouldn't have to spoon feed you information they've already given you by you having to already have played the games. 
so I'll go ahead <laughs> and continue with reading this. Uh, this feature functions similarly to ones found in other long-standing franchises like Yakuza, but with Trails of Cold Steel 4, there is information, and then there is information sequestered away in exposition. Character portraits pop up with brief descriptions of who these people are and how they're occasionally interlinked with other faces you're supposed to remember. Something I had a hard time doing. Something you had a hard time doing because you never played the fucking previous games. I feel like this is mostly due to the character designs in the Legend of Heroes series not standing out enough for me to commit a name to, to a face. Um, no. First off, while I would say that the Legend of Heroes series doesn't have a lot of character designs that are like crazy pop, pop out to you, like crazy anime character designs like that, the designs are very unique enough for me to remember each character if they have a unique design, if they don't have a generic NPC design. I remember who that person was because I played the game and I understand who that character is. So maybe it's more so the problem that you haven't played the previous games, so you can't match a name to a face because you don't know who the fuck anyone is. Because you haven't played them. <laughs> maybe that's the problem. And as he says in the next sentence, or maybe it has to do with me not really knowing much of anything of these characters outside of what I experienced in Trails of Cold Steel 4. And he, I'm sorry, he phrased that sentence as a question. Uh, or maybe it has to do with me not really knowing much of anything of these characters outside of what I experienced in Trails of Cold Steel 4? Like, maybe, not maybe. That's 100% what the fuck it is, you fucking fool. Uh, that statement in itself seems a little obvious. Yeah, it does. Starting off on the fourth entry of an experience of an expansive series that laps over several entries with very complex world building and lore isn't the greatest idea. It's an awful fucking idea. So what was the point of this article if you already know that this is a bad idea? Who let you write this and then publish it? <laughs> However, there should be some greater means of accessibility when it comes to new players uh, to introduce them to these concepts with ease. No, there fucking shouldn't. No, there fucking shouldn't. Listen, listen, listen. If you are a new player to any game series, your first thought should not be, let me just jump into the latest entry of that series, especially a story, especially an RPG story-based series. Like I said, there are outliers like Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest. But even then, most people have the sense to like Google these games and these informations and to see like, hey, where should I start? Or like, hey, are these connected? Or like, hey, like you I've never seen anyone just jump into a game series at, like, a random numbered point and then, like, blame the game for their confusion. That's not the game's job. It's not Cold Steel 4's job to tell you what happened in Cold Steel 1, 2, and 3, to tell you what happened in the Trails games, or to tell you what happened in the, the Sky games, to tell you what happened in the Crossbell games. You know whose job that is? That's your job to understand that information. It's your job to play those games to better understand what's happening now at this point. That is your responsibility. The games were made for you to play, 
not to be summarized to you in a later game. What is the point of the games existing if they're just going to tell you everything in the fourth game? That makes no fucking sense. You yourself said it, these games are composed of very expansive world-building elements, deep lore, several different entries that interconnect. What is the point of you writing this article if you didn't play the older games? And then you want to blame Cold Steel 4 for not giving you enough context? You should already have the context. It makes no fucking sense. Trails of Cold Steel 4 starts with a bit, with a fair bit of exposition, opening in a sleepy little town with citizens circling around a radio, delivering news of an event that has recently transpired, only to learn that a draft has begun and the war is underway. However, there appears to be something more sinister lurking in the shadows of what is working to tear the country, tear countries and their peoples apart. This is the beginning of the plot thread and themes that continue throughout Trails of Cold Steel 4. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I feel like he kind of words his sentences odd to kind of just extend them so you can have one long sentence. Um, this is the beginning of the plot thread and themes that continue throughout as Trails of Cold Steel 4... I'm going to have to restart this sentence again because this fucking... <laughs> Give me a second. <laughs> They're trying to stop me from reading this bullshit. Uh, this is the beginning of a plot thread that, a plot thread and themes that continue throughout as Trails of Cold Steel 4 seeks to illustrate the horrors of war and remilitarization and how this affects not only the cast of characters, but the citizens of the individual factions. But this isn't something that's been starting to be illustrated in Trails of Cold Steel 4. This has always just been what Trails of Cold Steel has, or Trails games have seek to, seek to do. This has all been going on. However, even with the levels of exposition you are provided in the early hours of the game, it doesn't feel enough for a newcomer to the series. There are instances where players are expected to know about specific events in greater detail than the synopsis provided to fully grasp the gravity of the looming war conflict and eventual resolution because you should already have that context from playing the other games for understanding what happened in the previous titles your baseline understanding of the series for cold steel 4 said at bare minimum have been have you already had played cold steel 1 2 and 3 bare minimum you should know information from all the games like I did. I, I looked up all the summaries from the older games before Cold, before the Cold Steel games so I could better understand what was going to happen once I got to Cold Steel 3. And also, a lot of stuff that happens in Cold Steel 1 and 2. Because Trails to Azure, the second Crossbelt game, takes place around the same time as a little over halfway through Cold Steel 1 and throughout Cold Steel 2. So those events are happening at the same time. So certain stuff is happening over in Crossbell that's mentioned by the cast in the Cold Steel games that I wouldn't fully understand or be able to be like, oh, okay, I see what they're referring to because I hadn't played the Crossbell games. But since I read those summaries, I know exactly what happened. You see how actually, you know, understanding the lore gives you the context you need so the game doesn't have to regurgitate that to you. 
if the game did that to help familiarize newcomers or to help hold handhold them in so they didn't have to play the previous games that would be annoying to veteran players because now they're just hearing shit that was already that they already know from playing the previous games play the games or at least look up the lore videos that i did that i that i was watching oh my god uh, da, 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 da. While the themes are broad enough to create a semi-effective commentary, I feel like my experience would have been greatly enriched if I had played the previous entries and had, had that experience and familiarity. Yes. Yes, you would have. You fucking fool. Maybe also make a mention here that about how the backstory section failed to offer any insight no it's not the that is not the game's job that is not the game's job you should already know <laughs> i needed that experience i needed those hours upon hours of gameplay from previous iterations i did not experience to grasp the grasp the relevance that's what they made the games for what is the point of them putting in all that effort if you're just gonna ask for all that to be sold in the fourth game What the narrative div offered to me was something equally complex and convoluted at times, and it was full of tropes and fan service that made me uncomfortable at moments. Serious moments were offset with time spent at a hot spring, where a character is groped for laughs, with completely, which completely destroyed my desire to continue, despite knowing I would have to suffer through more of this. Um, I feel like this could be an opinion-based thing because what a lot of JRPGs and anime games and anime in general you're gonna run into tropes you're gonna run into fan service fan service can definitely be overdone I feel like as far as I've played through Cold Steel 1 and 2 and after looking through all the summaries of the the plot summaries of the sky games and the crossbell games there is fan service definitely not really as much as like a lot of other anime games or anime like not as much to the point where i'm just like oh my god stop with the fan service it's there every now and then and then it's not and i can't say much for this game just because i haven't played this game yet so it could be different but i don't know about that i, I think you're just kind of nitpicking about fan service but again i haven't played this game so i can't fully say anything about that this is where it's more like his opinion based thing the tropes, it's not that tropes exist, tropes necessarily existing in a, in a story aren't a bad thing, it's more so the idea of how are those tropes used. Are those tropes used in a new unique way, are those tropes used in at least an efficient and effective way? Tropes exist for a reason. So you know, um, again an opinion thing, like I said I can't really judge him for this fully, but I feel like eh, once you've played enough of these games, you understand the context of their humor and their balance between serious moments and funny moments and cooling off tension. So I feel like he would have been more accustomed to it had he played the older games, but again, it's his opinion. I can't judge him too too hard on that because that's an opinion thing and I haven't played this game. Uh, while other games somehow manage to walk the tightrope act of having fan service that still manages to remain tasteful, Trails of Cold Steel 4 doesn't achieve this. Again, I feel like that's an opinion thing. And this is again where I think of 
he's probably equating that to something like a game series or a game that he played that he fully understood the context too so he was better he was overall better able to enjoy the experience rather than him already kind of being confused about what was happening in cold still 4 and then this happens so i feel like he's more frustrated because he doesn't understand the full story but again that's his fault but at the same time i can't 100 percent say that because like i said i haven't played this game uh chose a cold sport but it doesn't do this this turned me off to moments in the game that were otherwise breathers in the story thankfully these are segments in the game that are that offer glimmers of a much more interesting and stronger narrative uh, thankfully there are glimmers uh spoiler alerts blah 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 um then he's talking about the combat i don't want to look at that stuff too much just because like i said um let me just try to get to a point where it's not spoiling story for me. So credit to that. He did say spoiler alert. So <laughs> uh, I'm thankful for that. So a uh, little bit of section with spoiler alert. It's just for one scene in particular. So uh, it looks like we could just skip over that. Pretty much um, the bottom part of the paragraph. He was, he was essentially talking about how he appreciated the voice work and the dialogue of that scene in both the English and the Japanese. So... He's like, it's some well-written dialogue and top-notch voice acting in English and Japanese. So it looks like that's the only paragraph we really have to skip. Everything else doesn't really contain any, like, story-detailed spoilers. So moving along. However, I was less than impressed with the conclusion. I want to chalk up my feelings to my lack of knowledge, but even with that in mind, Trails of Cold Steel 4 had long overstayed its welcome. The payoff left me feeling unsatisfied and hoping for more meaning, a more meaningful, and hoping for more meaningful conclusion to the narrative. And hoping for more meaningful conclusions. So that was a typo, or he he forgot uh, the letter A. Yeah, and hoping for more meaningful conclusion to a narrative. That was so... Oh, okay, I guess I can see what he's trying to do. That was so invested in providing commentary on remilitarization and imperialism. However, I only earned the normal ending of Trails of Cold Steel 4, and I, and I more than likely won't be revisiting the game to get the true ending. If the ending somehow adds to the experience of Cold Steel 4 in any positive way, I won't know. And that's your fault. You can just Google the true ending if you don't... You can look that up on YouTube. If you're like, oh, I don't plan on playing this game again to earn the true ending, then just YouTube the true ending. <laughs> Somebody will probably have uploaded it. And then you could be like, oh, okay, I guess that was better or that was whatever. And also, you can chalk that up to your feeling, your feelings towards the ending to your lack of knowledge. You probably can. It probably was way more... Maybe the ending to this game might have been more impactful to people that had played the previous titles. Again... Probably his opinion. I can't say for sure. Maybe the ending was just lackluster. Who fucking knows? But again, I feel like this article was so unnecessary because he admits to his lack of knowledge, but he still wants to go in and critique certain things that he feels could have been better, but they're only lacking due to his lack of knowledge. So it's just like... <sighs> I mostly enjoyed monster moments spent in combat. 
While the system itself was hard to get used to compared to the mod any other modern JRPGs, it was like sitting down with something from the early 2000s in a way that made me feel oddly nostalgic. Trails of Cold Steel 4 utilizes a turn-based combat system that relies using a on using attacks that can perform AoEs and straight lines or specific zones that you can move around that you can move around the field to your liking. It's fun, it becomes far more complex beyond its introduction. I can agree with that. Uh, spells in some statuses in Trails of Cold Steel 4 are used through a system called Orbman, which requires adding and managing quartz through a spear-based system. It isn't anything like you might be thinking, especially if you're familiar with the spear grid from Final Fantasy X. Instead, it, you can mix and match quartz and their respective lines to add evasion or defense to a selected character. It took me a bit to it took a bit for it to gel, but I ended up enjoying it quite a bit. It provides depth, and I was pleased to learn that I could enhance and upgrade my quartz to create better and more interesting builds. It reminded me more of the Materia system in Final Fantasy VII, to be honest. I wouldn't say exactly to a T, it 100% was like the Materia system, but it did share a lot of uh, similarities to the Materia system in a way, in, in certain aspects. So I, I kind of got used to it very quickly, but that's my personal take on it. It did take time, however, before I finally got the gist of things. Trails of Cold Steel 4 is beset with menus and systems that never really receive a proper explanation even with the game's tutorials because you should have already played these other games to understand. Every Cold Steel game I believe adds a little more onto the combat as they improve and add little details but again the game expects you to have already played the previous games it's kind of a requirement. <laughs> as I mentioned before you're, you're thrown into a scenario in Trails of Cold Steel 4 in the middle of something that I should probably know or already understand. Yeah, duh. The game makes this very clear in almost every way, and when I opened up my menu for the first time, I had no idea what I should look at first or what stats should be prioritized. That isn't to say I wasn't able to figure things out, but I mostly learned by doing. Oh my god. <laughs> Tactics and movements are equally as important as passives and spells. You can link characters together to use link abilities through the tactics menu. By, assess by assigning characters a partner, this opens up another set of skills you can use in combat, which adds another layer of complexity. Thankfully, tutorials can be accessed at any time to the main menu, so even when I forget something, I could quickly go back. So what are you complaining about with the menus then? I, like, all these complaints are so unnecessary. So, uh, we're, we're almost wrapped up with this. <laughs> um, where were we? Let me just get to this last little portion here. I had to plug in my laptop charger, sorry. This is just like, I'm making sure if it's charging. Uh... And this is the part of, and this is part of what reminded me, Jer... And this part, and that is part of what reminded me JRPG from earlier eras. eras. Oh my god, 
I almost had a stroke reading that. <laughs> and that is part of what reminded me JRPGs from earlier. It's amazing how one missing word can fuck me up from reading an entire sentence. It wasn't just the movement of the characters that would at times feel sluggish. It was the overall presentation. The menu sounds reminded me of earlier iterations of the Tales series. Even though these two franchises cannot be compared beyond that, I disagree, but we'll, we, that's a different topic. And the user interface harkened back to those mid-2000 games I loved. The same can be said for the music, which sounds great and has the same kind of appeal. Okay, so you like the music, he likes the nostalgic feeling the game brings. Quality, quality of life features include a high speed mode that players can toggle on, toggle on and off to increase the speed of combat and field exploration. I personally love these features, like the, I personally love features like this, uh, purely for the ease of access when it comes to grinding. I agree, This that stuff is in Cold Steel 1 and 2, so I'm assuming it's going to be in 3 as well. Uh, blah blah blah, advantage of. For the most part, this feature functions fairly well, and I never had instances... Oh, it has an auto-battle feature too. I don't know if 1 and 2, Cold Steel 1 and 2 have that. I wouldn't really use that though, even if I was grinding. Maybe if I was grinding. It would depend on how hard I had to grind. It's not super hard to grind in Cold Steel, as I've seen so far, and a lot of the time I don't need to grind a lot anyway, unless I'm like about to fight a certain boss and I feel like I need to level up more. Additionally, the difficulty of the game can be changed at any time, with the exception of the Nightmare difficulty. If certain boss fights or dungeons are too difficult, or you'd rather just get on with the story, you can adjust the difficulty throughout the through the system menu. That's cool. Uh, I don't think you can change the difficulty in Cold Steel 1 and 2 once you pick it from when you start a new game. So it's cool that you can kind of change it at any point if it gets too hard. Would I do it? It would really depend. If like I've been on the same boss for like a long fucking time and have tried to beat it 30 times and I just can't no matter what I do, then maybe like out of frustration I would lower the difficulty. I tend not to. I try my hardest not to have to do stuff like that. Because I want the satisfaction of just beating it at the difficulty intended. I usually play most of my games on normal. The the normal difficulty given to me, you know. But that's cool that they added that. That you could change it at any time. So that's nice. If people just want to get on with the storyline. Mechanically, the game functions fine. However, there are some issues with the localization. And localization in that you find... Blah, However, there are some issues with the localization in that you will find the occasionally misspelled word, a lack of punctuation, and other instances of what feels like a rushed translation. Sorry about that butcher, me butchering that sentence. That sentence was fine. Thankfully, NIS of America has released a statement that a patch to rectify these errors is on the way. Unfortunately, there is no option to scale text in Trails of Cold Steel 4, but the user most interface is mostly legible, even when sitting in front of the television at a far distance. Yeah, that's not a huge problem. And if they're going to fi fix the localization, good, good shit, good shit. In regard to the voice acting, the English and Japanese cast do a stellar job. It's honestly rare that I pay attention to English voice acting when going through a JRPG. Really? I, I would find it hard to ignore 
especially if it was bad, because then you would want to change it to Japanese or something. Uh, but I genuinely enjoyed the performances in Trails of Cold Steel for so much that I ended up sticking with the English voice acting. You can swap between the two options at any time so you don't have to settle for one or the other. Cool, 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 cool. I, yeah, I do like the, the English. I, I play most of my games in English if the option is available because I speak English. The only time I wouldn't is if like the if I just honestly felt the dub was god fucking awful. But I'm not a fucking elitist, so if the dub is solid, the dub is solid. If the dub is good, the dub is good. If the dub is great, the dub is great. I'm I'm honest with myself. Um, unfortunately, I cannot recommend this game to anyone who has had no exposure to the franchise. No fucking shit. It's trails. Oh my god. Because it isn't a great point of entry at all. It's not a point of entry, period. Even the best moments are few and far between. While the combat system is engaging at first, it loses its shine somewhere around the 40-hour mark. I saw so much of what I wanted to like about this game dangled before me, only to stumble through the final acts, feeling lukewarm about the entire experience. I wasn't sure what to expect because I was never entirely sure what the game expected from me. It expected you to play the other games! You fucking fool! <laughs> In the end, it simply is what it is. And that is a game for only its returning audience. Yeah, no fucking shit! <laughs> this is for diehard fans of the series who will no doubt enjoy the return of the to the familiar setting with its complex characters and deeply interconnected story. The Legend of Heroes Trails of Cold Steel 4 is immediately available on the PlayStation 4 in Japan, North America, and Europe. It will also appear on the system in Australia on November 3rd, 2020. The Nintendo Switch and PC versions will launch in 2021. So that's the article. Um, Fuck that article. That article... It's so unnecessary. It's like, dude... Of course you should play... This isn't a... I wouldn't recommend this as an entry point because it's not a good entry point. It's not a fucking entry point, you fucking fool. No. <laughs> like, the game's not entitled to tell you anything prior because you should already know. It expects you to know. It's the fourth game in the Cold Steel... It's the fourth game in the Cold Steel franchise. It's the ninth game in the Trails franchise. What did you expect, man? Oh my goodness. It, I just wanted to share that with you guys because... Th that is an example of why people just have a bad interpretation of uh, gaming journalism. Not interpretation. They, that's why people don't like gaming journalism most of the time. It's, it's because of shit like this. He wrote a whole ass article about not liking the game and the game not giving him enough context and he didn't understand what was going on. Even though he admits that he probably should have played the previous games first to get the better context, but at the same time the game should have given him the con- No, it shouldn't have. No, it shouldn't have. Ugh, it's... You would think common sense would tell you, like, oh, this is the fourth game, I should go back and play the first one first. Especially with how accessible the first game is. Because... 
the the Switch and PC versions will be available in 2021. That means this game is only on PS4. So you had to have played it on PS4. You know what's on PS4? Trails of Cold Steel 1, 2, and 3. They're all on PS4. So even if you say, like, oh, he, he didn't want to get the Sky games on the PC, because I believe those are on Steam, or something like that, he just wanted all of them on PS4. 1, 2, 3, and 4 of Cold Steel, the whole Cold Steel series, is on PS4. There is no excuse why he shouldn't have played those games in order before playing 4. He just wanted to get a review out. He just needed to get a review out of the latest game, because it was just coming out. And that's the problem with gaming journalism. Either they don't know what they're talking about with a game because they jump into the game so late in series that they have no clue what's going on. Or they'll play a game, like a new game that came out, maybe like a new IP or something, play it for like 20 hours and make a full review about it when you need to play like 60 to 80 hours to fully grasp what's going on. So you're already just judging it when you don't know enough. And that's the problem with gaming journalism. They take, they're so quick to hurry up and finish a game and pump out an article about it. Or hurry up and play through a game for a little bit and then just make this opinion based on the little that they played. And that's why I hate that shit and that's why I usually don't look up gaming reviews or gaming articles. I don't trust any of that. Uh, if I want to know stuff about a game, maybe if there's like a really like a YouTuber that I really like, like and enjoy and they review it, I'll look it up. But even then I'll still look, I'll ask my friends about it and see how they feel about it. And then at the end of the day, if I'm really interested enough, I'll still just end up playing it. If I'm not too sure about a game, I'll just wait for it to go on a sale or something. And then buy it and play it then. But it's like, dude, this is not it. <laughs> and that's all I wanted to say. Uh, to sum up opinions, bro. The classic thing, what is it? Opinions are like assholes. <laughs> that's what this was for me. Uh, I give this review a... Uh, 2 out of 10, <laughs> because at least he was pointing out some cool aspects about the game, and uh, at least he admits that he should have played the previous games, but he blamed the game for him not understanding the context of what was happening, when the context of what was happening is in the previous fucking games. Just play the previous fucking games. Uh, but that's where we're going to wrap up. This has been episode 66 of the 40 Ounce Fridays podcast. What am I going to talk about next week? I don't know. I kind of dug not having like too much of a subject matter, just kind of shooting the shit like I used to in the older episodes, so maybe we'll do more of that. But that's it for now. i got to edit this, make sure the audio sounds semi-decent. You know, work my shitty magic. But I love you guys. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Let me know what you think about any of the stuff I talked about uh, in the comments or something. Love you guys. Uh, have a good Friday. Have a good weekend. Enjoy the rest of your week. Or enjoy the rest of the new week. And we'll be back next Friday with episode 67. As always, thanks for all the love and support. And I'll see you later. Bye. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. We got him. Oh's mad. 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 Oh's mad.